Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Pastor Cole, and I just wanted to personally thank you for tuning in to our message of the week. We pray that this message encourages you, it inspires you, and it builds your faith in Jesus. We love you, and we hope to see you in person at one of our services soon. So let's get started this morning. Let's crack open the Bible. If you've got your phone, that's fine. You've got your Bible, that's fine too. So we are in Jeremiah 2. And in Jeremiah 2, just to set you up, God is speaking through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. And he is specifically, I don't want to say chastising, but he is talking to them about their unfaithfulness, their idolatry, their disloyalty to him, their loss of focus on him. And so this whole chapter is really devoted to that. And I want to start Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 10. We'll do 10 through 13. So for cross to the coast of Cyprus and sea, or send to Kedar and examine with care. See if there has been such a thing. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate. For my people have committed two evils. For my people have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that hold no water. So, He says, for my people have committed two evils. And this is where we'll focus. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Two dueling systems. Number one, his systems, his kingdom, his way, the way that he does things is the fountain of living waters. And then two, human systems or broken cisterns. Before we really get into it, I just want to pray, Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to get up on this stage and to share what you have shared with me. I'm honored and the privilege of standing up here is not lost on me. God, I pray that you give me the ability to teach you rightly in a fresh way, in a way that shows them exactly what you're trying to tell them. God, help me teach you in the right way. Give me words and phrases that speak exactly to who you are and help me draw their eyes to you and help me draw my own eyes to you in a fresh way. God, I love you. I praise you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Gentry, thank you. You're good. I appreciate you. I have to say man of God because Cole would say man of God. Okay, so just to reiterate one more time. God says the people of Israel have done what? They have done two evils. Number one, they forsook him, the fountain of living waters. Number two, they hewed out their own cisterns and at that broken cisterns. So there are two systems. God's systems are systems, the fountain of living waters and broken cisterns. Now, systems that we construct are our systems. They maybe are constructed purposefully. We put things in place in our life that we do on purpose. We know that maybe God is saying something different. We know that it should be a different way, but we say we know better. This feels better. I know better. I'm going to construct this system. And there are also systems that we build that we think 
are right, that we think are what he's saying, we misinterpret, we mishear, uh, maybe we glean from other individuals who have not heard appropriately, and we can construct systems or idols in that way. So there's two ways to do that. So God's systems in the text are represented by, this table's not big enough, um, are represented by the fountain of living waters and human systems are represented by the broken cisterns. And when I say human systems, I mean what I just told you. I don't mean to conflate being human and being broken or bad. I want to make that distinction. I'm not suggesting that there's God systems and then human systems are naturally broken. We share a piece of our humanity with Jesus. And when those things are right and they work together, they can be a part of the same system. So I don't want to say human is naturally in opposition to Jesus because being human is not naturally in opposition to him. So When I say human systems, I mean the things that we have constructed um, against his will and against what we know he is saying. So before we can go any further, we need to know what a cistern is. So a cistern was essentially a hole in ancient Israel, Israel or the surrounding areas in the bedrock that they would hew out or scoop out, however they did it, and it would catch rainwater, excess runoff, and it was meant to be in place so that they could have water to draw from in times of drought or when the wells, which were a better source of water because there was fresh water flowing from the wells, when the wells were not available. And so the cisterns, and you can think of it as a hole in the ground. In my mind, I see a little bit of like a bowl. Um, And they were not optimal by any stretch of the imagination because you think, number one, they're in the ground. Number two, they're catching all the runoff off the clay roofs and whatever else. So that water rancid, turbid, stagnant, nasty. And it really wasn't meant to hold much anyway. So you've got to think, it's already not great. It's already a subpar way to hold water. And then you realize at the end of verse 13, he says, not just have you hewed out cisterns, but they're broken cisterns. So that's an exercise in futility, essentially. You've got a bowl or a hole in the ground. And not only is it nasty, but it's broken and all your water is just dripping into the earth. So we have to think, what is God through Jeremiah trying to tell us? Obviously, it's a metaphor. And we know that God really likes to speak to his people in ways that they will understand. And at that point, Israel would have understood the metaphor and the imagery of a cistern because they used them so frequently. And so Jeremiah is using this imagery so that the people of the time would be able to see with fresh eyes what God was trying to tell them. And I do want to make a quick distinction. Uh, I'm not saying when I preach this particular sermon that it's replacement theology or supersessionism, which means that we put ourselves in place of Israel um, and, and that it applies directly to us as the modern church. I'm just suggesting that Israel did a lot of things in that time that we do in a different way now in a different era and different systems and that we can look back and glean from them what God told them what they were doing and we can we can use that knowledge to not make the same mistakes that they did and in the scripture before he gets to the main passage that we're focusing on Jeremiah starts by reminding them of the devotion of their youth he reminds them of what he's done for them, of what God has done for them He draws their attention to the current state of affairs, of worshiping Baal, um, of losing focus on him, of doing things that weren't working for their good. Specifically in verse 11, he says, has a nation changed its gods even though there are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. 
And I think that there's something specific to that in that that's the thing about idolatry, about bringing up idols in our life. Most of the time, it's quiet. It's unsuspecting. We don't realize we're doing it. It doesn't feel like we're worshiping a false god sometimes or trading his ways for another or trading waters uh, for his, trading our waters for his waters. But oftentimes, it feels like we are even pursuing good ends, ends that were ordained by him, and we can even sign his name to it sometimes. I mean, if you think about it, we have entire theologies and ideologies built around what we think God is saying to us, but through the lens of things like personal experience, culture, time, and geographic specific moral codes. We have built idols and ways of thinking and systems that are not born from Jesus's way of life or the examples that he gave us. And so what exactly does that look like? What does a life built around human systems or broken cisterns look like? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Um, it can look a lot of different ways. It can look like gr being in the wilderness that Cole was mentioning last Sunday and growing restless in that wilderness. It can look like an attempt at creating our own way, the way that we think we should go. It looks like a lack of grit, grief, or gratitude, like you talked about last week, a lack of surrender of our ways. Human systems can look like deconstruction that does not loop you back around to the foot of the cross. Human systems look like, and Pastor Cole mentioned something, there he said some words similar to this, but human systems look like releasing your grasp of all the unhealthy things that we learned about Christ growing up, but never grabbing hold of any of the right things that we're learning about him. Because I think that, and I have done that, I think we do that sometimes, don't we? Especially, you have a lot of millennials that, and I don't even, I think the word deconstruction has is kind of buzzy now. It's a buzzword, so I don't even really like to use it. But looking back through your life and the things that you learned that were not reflective of Christ and who he really is, and then peeling away what isn't true, and replacing it with what is true. And we sometimes miss the mark on that, especially those of us who feel like there were a lot of things that we learned that did not depict him correctly. And we can learn more, we grow more. Like I said, we peel away all the unhealthy, unchrist-like things that we were taught over time. We strip away what isn't him so that we can see a clear picture of who he really is. But if we tear every bit of it away, the good and the bad, and we do not end up filling our minds, our hearts, our hands, our pockets, wherever you can put the pearls that you learn from coal or whoever else. If we don't fill ourselves back up with that, deconstructionism or deconstruction was not for our good. It did not serve the purpose that it set out to serve. It, if it did not sharpen you, if it does not leave us better than when it found us, it was an idol, and we made an idol out of it. Deconstructionism that does not bring you back to the divine discovery of his true nature is an idol. And I'm telling you, I've seen it for myself. I've seen it in, in other people. It will pull your focus. It will fixate your gaze, and it will drain your battery for as long as you let it. And human systems can also look like, and this is similar to 
or this is what Cola talked about, human systems can look like rejecting Haran still, but also turning away from Canaan. Human systems look like allowing your own ego, our own ego, from turning away from the fountain of life that pours forth all the spiritual water we will ever need and go seek to build individualistic cisterns that will make you spiritually sick from all the rancid, turbid, nasty water that is holding in it. Human systems look like eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Just like Pastor Cole very faithfully taught us a couple weeks ago in Genesis 3. And just so we make sure that we keep Genesis at the forefront of our minds and not forget that as we continue on wherever Pastor Cole takes us into the Bible, there will always be a callback to Genesis. And I... Man, Cole and I were, Pastor Cole and I were talking about this sermon the other day, and I was like, you know, when I was reading Jeremiah, and I went across Jeremiah 2.13, it just jumped off the page, and then I was like, oh my gosh, it ties back to Genesis, and he was like, spoiler alert, spoiler alert everything is going to tie back to Genesis, and I said, I didn't ask, just go along with my story, so it does, this does tie back to Genesis, but there's going to be a lot of things that tie back to Genesis, but I don't, I just want to do a quick little recap so we see you know, where we came from when we started the Genesis series and how this can also tie in to all the good stuff that we've been taught. So if we recall back, Eve wanted the wisdom from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She took from it, she ate, she gave it to Adam. Um, And then after that moment, they were acutely aware of their nakedness and their mistakes and their shame. They hid from God, God found them, and then he prompts them, of course, who told you you were naked? And then he sews them animal skins. He banishes them from Eden. And he sends a cherub to the cherubim to the east of the garden, a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life, not to guard us from it, but to guard us to it. So on the way to the tree of life, you have to pass through the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I won't, I won't harp on this because we've already learned about it. But Cole says, when we get on our way to this life we were made for, this is a direct quote from his sermon, we stop before we get to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden and we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it is actually a false tree of life. And we know now that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a false tree of life. It will speak to a part of us that looks right, feels right, and we take and we eat of it. Sometimes even when we know that it's going to kill us. Just like when we continue to construct systems that we know are not the right way. And we take and we eat it anyway. And what I want to suggest to you is that just like Cole said... That on the way to the tree of life, there will always be an opportunity to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I suggest that on your way to the fountain of living waters or the fountain of life, there will always be an opportunity to stop and drink from your own broken cistern. And when we drink from that cistern, when we go our own way, when we try to grow our own way, what happens? Well, let's take a look back at Jeremiah. So, chapter 2, verse 20, 20 through 24. For long ago, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, and you said, I will not serve. Yet on every high hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then... Have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me. 
declares the Lord. How can you say, I am not unclean? I have not gone after the Baals. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. A restless young camel running here and there, a wild donkey used to the wilderness in her heat, sniffing the wind. Who can restrain her lust? None who seek her need weary themselves. In her month, they will find her. So remember when I reminded us earlier of Pastor Cole's message last Sunday in the wilderness. In the wilderness between Haran and Canaan, you have a choice. You have two choices to make, really. One choice, two options. You have two water sources, two systems, two ways of life, two opposite ends of the spectrum to choose from, right? We can be, just like Jeremiah depicted, just like God spoke through him, we can be on every high hill and under every green tree searching for something to make us whole and feel our needs or we can submit to Jesus and accept that he came to satisfy all our needs from the moment that we're born until the moment that we spend eternity with him. You can be a restless camel, a wild donkey who has become so used to the wilderness that you are just running back and forth from end to end in insanity lost, never making it anywhere, certainly not to Canaan, or we can realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, the light, the lamp into our feet. He lights our path. And the only choice then that you have to make in the wilderness is not how to get from point A to point B, but it's that you're just going to have to learn how to grow while you go, because with him, you will make it to the other side. You will make it to Canaan. We can be degenerate vines, growing wild, growing restless as we wait for something in life to be steady, to be steadfast, something we can grow towards and latch onto, or we can accept that Jesus is the vine and we are the branches and we grow together, intertwined, satisfied, and dependent on him for all of our needs if we surrender. We can constantly be trying to cleanse ourselves with lye and soap, like it says in there, with deconstruction, if you will, with good deeds. We can strive to make ourselves moral and good and right, as the world says it, or we can recognize that Jesus and Jesus alone makes us holy. And we are cleansed in baptism and submerged into the waters of humanity around us. And rather than turbid, stagnant, nasty water, we are with him and humanity around us in his system in the purest, holiest, and most sanctified and cleanest waters around. We can be restless, wild animals running for our lives in search of the answer, in search of the right way, in search of the right political party, in search of the right social justice campaign, the right take on the he gets us football commercial. We can make social media post after post after post after post. We can be filled with insanity. We can rinse. We can repeat. We can feed our false selves and desperately pull fruit down from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just hoping that if we feed ourselves enough with what we think God is saying, we will get it just right. But what I'm suggesting to you 
with, with our systems, God is looking at them and he is saying the false fruit is sour. The fake wisdom is tainted. The cistern water is rancid. He is the fountains of living water that never run dry. He is the tree of life that offers never ending sustenance. He was and is the fully man and fully God that rode the donkey from verse 23 into Jerusalem and tamed every bit of rebellion in him, in the donkey, just like he tames every bit of rebellion in us. He is him. We do not have to be subject to the demise of our own doing. We can make a choice to choose him. He is always beckoning you. He is always beckoning me. He is saying, I am who I am and you are mine. Together we are one. You abide in me and I will abide in you. Focus on me. Leave the cisterns. Lose sight of your idols. Walk past the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. Seek me in the garden. Reach for the tree of life. Drink from my fountain and find your source in me. That is what he says to us. And that, when we do that lineage of things, that is when we drink from the fountain of living waters. And do you know why they're called the fountain of living waters? Because the fountain will never run dry. It will never run dry. As our source, he will always, always be there. He will never run out. It is simply not in his nature. In John 7, Jesus is teaching at the Jewish festival of tabernacles in Jerusalem and the chief priests have sent people to arrest him, of course. And in verse 37 through 39, he says, on the last, or it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. And back in Jeremiah 2, in verse 9, after speaking of the idolatry that had been happening there and losing focus of the Lord, God said to them, Therefore, I still contend with you and with your children and your children's children I will contend. Even when we get it wrong, the water still never run dry. He didn't go through all the things that the Israelites had done and list them all out and then say, I don't know what to tell you. I've done what I could do. I got to go. He said, I still contend with you. I still contend with your children and your children's children and their children and their children. That's never been the question. The decision we have to make for ourselves is not, will he still be with me? Will he still be with us? Will he still abide in me? The answer is yes, irrevocably. That doesn't change no matter what we do. But will our legacy to our children be a land full of broken, empty cisterns in the wilderness? Or will it be a righteous, flowing stream in Canaan? Will your life, will our lives be a steady uphill climb full of chaos and full of rebellion and full of systems built by your own power? Or will you surrender to him, take on his system and live your life as he's called you to? Will you surrender to the one who tames the rebellion, who speaks peace to the chaos, who builds a better cistern, one that will never run dry? And my suggestion to you today is that Jesus is the better cistern. Your rancid water, oh, he's better than that. Your broken bowl or hole in the ground, he's better than that. Your ways, infinitely better than that. Systems built around any political system you could name, he's better than that. 
All the Facebook posts, he's better than that. Mark 2.22 says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst, and the wineskins and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. We do not pour Jesus into our broken cisterns, even when we do find him. We don't pour him into that. We turn from our old ways and the other waters that we have sought, and his living water now flows through us. This morning, they sang uh, the second song, which I can't recall the name of it, but it says, you take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turned it for my good. God loves you more vastly and wholly than you could ever comprehend. And it does not matter what you've done, what system you've built, what you've put in place, why you've done it, or how much you have no idea how to fix it. Why do you think that he banished us from the garden and then followed us out? He knew that we would need him. He knew that we would need the exchange, and he is the exchange. The wine is Jesus in Mark 2.22. The wine skin is Jesus. The wine is his blood. The wine skin in his body. We do not pour our blood in Jesus. He puts his blood in us. He is the great exchange. Everything but Jesus will leave you thirsty and hungry and aware of just how naked you are. Every broken cistern you attempt to drink from will leave you even more desperate for water than when you first started seeking. So I ask you to ask yourself, and I ask myself the same question, where are the broken cisterns in my life that I have hewed out and waited for holy water to flow that will never, ever flow? Where are the areas in my life, in your life, that you can surrender your system, you can surrender your preference, and you can take up his ways? Where are they? I'm sure that we can all immediately think of where those are. Because the point is, his water will quench every thirst that you have. And I'm not suggesting that it's immediate. I'm definitely not suggesting that it's easy. But I am telling you that it's worth it. I'm telling you that he quiets the chaos. He tames the rebellion. He speaks silence to the storm. He gets you through the wilderness. That restless, uncomfortable feeling that you have in your body lately with the choices that you're making and the things that are coming out of your mouth and the way that you're living your life, that can be traded for his system. You can hand in the broken cistern I say it like this because in my mind, it's still a bowl. I just can't picture it in the ground. Anyway, you can trade in the broken cistern that's leaking water 30 ways to Sunday, and he will take it back. This is not Target. There is, you do not need a receipt. There is not a 60-day return policy. He will take it, broken and all. He will take it. He will take your system. He will take the systems that you've built, the cisterns you've hewed out, the hurt that you felt that caused you to build the system in the first place, the pain that was caused by the system. He will ravish you in his redemption and in his love and in his living waters in a moment. And again, I'm not suggesting that it's easy. And I'm not saying that it isn't a process and something that is daily felt when you walk out of this building, some, something that you don't have to daily get up and think, I am trading my system for his ways, but I am telling you 
that it is worth it. Because when you trade it in, when you lay down your system for his system, it is beneficial for everybody, for you, for your children, for your community that is around you, for the people that rely on you. And I think it's important to remember that on one level or another, we all have followings. We have eyes on us and ears open in our directions. And whether it's in person, it's on social media, whether it's your family or your friends, whether it's large or small amounts of people, people know you as someone who is supposed to be depicting a picture of Jesus. And it's your choice what they see. And I'm not even saying that you requested the role or the responsibility, but I am saying that you have it. And due to that very nature alone, you are a leader. Everyone in here in some capacity or another is a leader. And I think when we're talking about the cisterns and the idols and losing focus of God's ways of doing things, we need to be acutely aware of where we are drawing people's eyes. Are we showing them God's way? Are we drawing them to an accurate representation of Jesus? I can only answer that for me. And thank you, Facebook memories from 10 years ago. But I can wholly tell you that I was not drawing people's eyes to Jesus. I was posting judgmental posts, hypocritical posts, political posts, posts calling for social justice from a place that I had no idea what I was talking about, a place of ignorance because I just did not understand what I was doing. And the worst part about it was is that I signed his name to it. I went on a big, long rant, and I said, and this is what God told me. It's not. It so wasn't. And yet I clicked send, and it was available for everybody to see. And even though I was on the younger side when I was posting these things, I still had people that were looking at me who knew me as a follower of Jesus who said, I can look at Katie and at least get a little inkling of what that man is about. And they looked at me, and they did not get what he was about. I polarized specifically like the political and whatever posts, I polarized entire sections of people that if given the chance, Jesus was pursuant of them and would have never marginalized them. We've all done that. But I want it to be pointing in our heads of the weight and the responsibility of the stuff that comes out of our mouth and the words that go off our fingers on our phones. And I think this past week in the media, where it was, pro or against Travis Kelsey pushing Andy Reid, or it was pro or against the He Gets Us commercial. I don't need to get into any of that. My, I'm just saying there were tens of thousands of people that were drawn to empty, barren cisterns by mostly well-meaning Facebook posts. It is imperative that we feel the weight and responsibility of our social presence on and offline. And that 100% goes to me too because I still try to get a little jiggy with it on Instagram sometimes and I just have to whoop, close it down, back out, go talk to Joe about it. Revelations 2, 2 through 7. This is a long one. It's a good one though. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, 
I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. If we proclaim to know the gospel of Jesus, we cannot leave people more thirsty than when they met us. We cannot lead people to a barren cistern. We must lead them to him and to the tree of life. And from both of those things will the fountain of living waters flow. Gentry, you can come on up. So we have two dueling systems. And at any moment, on any given day, we have the opportunity to choose. Haran or Canaan. The fountain of living waters, our nasty cisterns. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life. We cannot become the people and grow into the people that God has destined us for if we live with our own idols and our own systems. You will be in Haran forever. You will be in the wilderness forever. Canaan will be a distant land that your mind just kind of goes to when you think of better times, better days, what it could be. I'm telling you that it can be. And again, I get it. It's not easy. I understand. We construct systems. I construct systems of my own doing constantly. But what I'm suggesting to you is that he loves you enough to get you out of it. That he loves you through it. That there's no system you've built that you can't lay down and walk away from. That there's no depth you've descended to that he won't replace his system or your system for his there is a way out and there is better for you. And there is a life to be lived that is full of drinking from his fountain and eating from the tree of life. You do not have to remain in your broken cistern. You do not have to drink or eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You do not have to be in that uncomfortable spot, desperate for peace and desperate for a soft place to land. He is a soft place to land. And it's not about him loving you or accepting you or still being present for you. It's not about you being good versus you being bad. Don't mishear me. You are good no matter what. No matter, ultimately, no matter what system you choose, he will still contend with you. But you will never live in the fullness of what he has for you if you keep doing what you're doing. If you keep constructing your own systems and letting idols run your life, your children will grow up watching you, never sure of what they're supposed to do on their way to Canaan. And so, might I suggest to you that you can't grow your own way. And I hope that at least some of what I said has resonated with you this morning. I hope that some. I hope it makes sense. Um, I hope that you can take some of it and apply it practically uh, in your life. It really, when I was first looking over that Jeremiah verse, I was honest when I said to Cole, it just leapt off the page at me. And I think it's something that we can all take into our lives and, and apply. So if everyone will just stand with me. I know it's a little bit earlier than it usually is, but you'll get a little sweet at the Calhoun.